Good morning. All right, so it's, there's just no way around this. So, Mason, if I'm down here, is this okay? All right, see, you got to check these things out because we've rearranged everything. And I was going to go up there, but then there's candles in the way and everything else like that. So then I'm going to be down here, but is that too low for the camera or all these other things that we're doing? You know, sometimes when things are temporary, you just deal with them, right? But the reason you deal with them when they're temporary is because there's what? There's hope that there's something coming in the future, right? And so therefore, when things are temporary, there's times when you just say, okay, hey, this is temporary. I can... I can deal with this for a little bit, but you understand that it's not necessarily the ideal situation. But, but when you're in that type of a situation, and it, it's, it's a situation that's not ideal, and you have no idea what's going to happen in the future, that's when things get really frustrating, isn't it? That's when things go, I, I don't I suck the whole life out of you. Because you get to a point where you just become, and, and this is probably the worst thing that you could ever be in life, you become hopeless. Hopeless is a horrible thing to be, because when there's nothing to look forward to, when there is no hope for the future, then there's really no motivation to even live for today, right? And so that's why we're excited to talk about hope this morning. I want you to think back on what's the greatest gift that you ever received at Christmas time. And I'm talking about the actual physical gift. You don't have to be spiritual even though we're in church, okay? Because we all know that the answer is Jesus is the greatest gift. And that is absolutely true. I don't mean to demean that. But I'm, I'm talking about, think about the time when you received a gift that just charged you up. Now here's my, here's my question for you. Did, did you anticipate that that gift could possibly be coming? I, I, I think back, probably one of the Christmases that sticks in my head the most. And it's probably because we were moving at that point in time, it was one of those Christmases that mom and dad said, okay, hey, open all your gifts. Okay, hey, pack them all back up because we're moving. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever had to experience that, but we had to experience that one year. But it also happened to be the year, and this is way back when these very first began, all the first Star Wars movies came out. And after the first Star Wars movies came out, and all those little action figures, they're not dolls. They're action figures, Okay. And all those little action figures came out and all those, and, and I wanted those so bad. And I just couldn't wait for Christmas to get here because I knew that mom and dad were, were probably going to be able to get me those things. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that happened as we were leading up to Christmas, uh, we were having a get-together at the house. Mom and dad were having a get-together at the house. And mom said, Lindell, I need you to run to my closet and I need you to get, the, I don't even remember what she told me to get. I just remember she told me to run to the closet and get something for her. So I'm getting back to mom's closet. And I remember that right as I turn the, the corner to go into her closet, the doors are open. I remember hearing mom coming down the hall going, no, 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 no. Because she had forgotten where she hid all those Star Wars figures. It was right there in the closet. And so I turned the corner and boom, there they all were. And I'm like, Yes. This was so exciting. But then, you know what happened? I had to wait. I knew they were coming. But I had to wait. And it was early in December. And I had to wait all the way to Christmas morning to open them. And then when I opened them, I didn't get the full thing because I had to open them. And then I had to pack them back up. 
and I had to wait because we had to move. And then when you went through all the move, you, know, you got all that stuff that's going on. And so I, I'll never forget that, though, just this experience of just anticipation and waiting, and you know it's coming, and then the joy, and then the packing. It. And it seems kind of like that's, that's a little bit of picture of what life is right now, is that we know that Jesus has come for the first time, and we anticipate his second coming. And so in a very similar way, and please give me liberty with this illustration this morning, that Jesus has come in all his fullness, but it's not complete yet. And so though we've seen it, and though we know he's coming, and though we know he's real, and though we know he's true, we still have hope for even a different future than what was anticipated when the Messiah came. If you have your Bible, you can open them with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And as they read this morning, verse 2 in there, we're going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. And, th- and, and this is a point in time when the people of God were anticipating hope for a future. They were needing hope for a future because things were not going well for them at this point in time. They were in gloom and they were distressed and they were worried and, and they were broken and they were in captivity. There was just all kinds of things were happening at this point in time. But this is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah chapter 9, he says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. See, Jesus brings hope. Even the thought of Jesus, the possibility of the Messiah coming again, brings hope. It gives people something to hold on to, something to to press through the difficulties of life for. And I don't know about you, it's sometimes we get to this time of year as we get older, and perhaps it's our 47th time to go through this for me. For Christmas, and some of you have me beat on that, and some of you aren't there yet, and I get that. And, and, and you have a tendency to see this happen over and over, and maybe sometimes you begin to lose some of the luster, but I'll tell you, when, when it's something like this, it's, it's almost like your favorite song, you can't get enough of it. You don't just play it once, you play it over, and you play it over again, and you hear a story of hope. We know it for your friends, and you do this, and you, you learn it inside and out, and you get it. And this is like this story of hope. We know the end of the story. We talk about that at Easter. We know the middle of the story. We teach it all year long here. But there is something that is refreshing and hopeful and recharging about knowing that Jesus Christ comes, and he brings hope. And he brought hope 
in a hopeless situation to the people of God, and he brings hope to what could be a hopeless situation for us even right now. You know, there are times when we can look at our own lives or we can look at the world around us and we can get frustrated, we can get discouraged, we can, we can be challenged in holding on to hope, but Jesus brings hope. And specifically, I want us to look at the greatness of Jesus and why we celebrate his birth and why this is so significant for us and, and why it's a story that can be told over and over and over again and never, ever get tired or old. In verse 6, Isaiah uses some wonderful, wonderful descriptive words here. He says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders, and he describes him this way, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. I want us just to focus on those words this morning as we think about Jesus bringing hope in our own life this morning and what that could mean to us. And that first one that he talks about their wonderful counselor. Let me just ask you this question. Do you ever need to know how to navigate things in life? Have things ever happened in your life where you go, I'm not so sure what my next step to take is. I'm not so sure how I'm supposed to react to this. I'm not so sure how I'm supposed to, to live or do or be. Well, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And what we can hold on to there in hope is this idea that God's way, God's way will always be best. God's way will always be best. You see, I, I talk about this often, and that is that we have a struggle in life. And it's, it is a struggle between good and evil, but I like to think about it more specifically, is that we have a struggle that happens inside each and every one of our hearts. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Christ, or if you've never followed Christ in your life, you have this struggle that's going on in your heart, and it's this. It's do I do things God's way, or do I do things my way? You know, we like to think about that as just good and evil, but, but in reality, it's a, it's a battle within ourselves at times to say, do I buy as a wonderful counsel my way? Is best, And when Isaiah describes the coming Messiah as a wonderful counselor, what he's telling the people is, look, that God's way will always be best. He will give us a child, and that child will be a wonderful counselor, and he will lead the way, and you will never have to wonder what steps you're supposed to take in life if you are following God's way. He's a wonderful counselor. Revelation, the end of the story, as we talk today about perhaps the beginning of Jesus' story. Revelation chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 says it this way. It says, They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb, which is Jesus. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. There will come a time when it is proven that God's way is always best. But for right now, we have this struggle and this choice, if you will. Do I believe and trust in God's way and do I follow him now? Or do I follow what I feel is best, what I think is best, and how I handle this? But we've been promised that the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, was coming and now has come and is coming again. And when we follow his way, his way will be best 
because he's a wonderful counselor that can help us navigate life. Because there's one thing that we all know, life is going to bring something to us that we're not quite sure what to do with. And when it comes to that point in our life, we either have the choice to lean on our own, lean on our own knowledge, and perhaps go down a road that, that we're just going to, you know, just buckle down and do the best we can, or we're going to give all these things over to God and choose to say, I'm going to follow your way. And perhaps you're thinking, well, man, following God's way, it's, it's just simply too difficult. I, I, just, I just find this struggle just so hard because perhaps you don't think that, that God's really in control. Perhaps you don't think that God really can do the things that he says that he can do. Well, that's why Isaiah gives us the next descriptor. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, he is a mighty God. And when we try to do things in our own power, we see that things are limited to our own power. But when we try to live life in God's power, then we tap into something that's greater than we could ever imagine. We tap into the power of a mighty God. And the truth is, God can. Say that with me. God can. God can. God can. I don't know what it is that you're facing in life. I don't know what it, what it is that, that you may think is this difficult thing to navigate or something that may be stealing your hope today, but I can tell you something today. God can. God can overcome that. God can see you through that. God can walk beside you in that. God can. And that's why the, the promise of a mighty God is something that we can hold on to today in hope because God's power will always be enough. God's power will always be enough. Our power will always fall short. Our power may last a good long time, long enough to make us think that we can make it through. But ultimately, what I've discovered is that it will always end up falling just a little bit short, if not a long way short on some other things. But God's power will always be enough. And so when you're needing something to hold on to, something to hope for, something to see you through, then you can hope and trust in the power of God because God's power will always be enough. In Revelation, again, chapter 19, John writes these words. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, and he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The baby didn't stay in a manger, amen? He's the almighty, the all-powerful God. We celebrate his birth because we know about his life. And we know what he has done and what he will do. And that God's power is enough for each and every one of us. And not only is God's power enough for our lives, it's enough for everyone. Because not only is he a wonderful counselor, and not only is he a mighty God, he is an eternal father. He has been. He is now, and he always will be. And here's something for us to think about this morning. When, when, we're, when we're wondering if the love of God is enough for our life, if, if it can see us through, if it can sustain us, if it can be this, let me, let me tell you something else that, 
and, and sometimes I say this, I preach to myself sometimes, and I let you listen. So let me just tell you something I've, I've learned in life, that I might run from God, but he will never leave me. And that when I discover that there are those times in life when I feel like that God has left me behind, the truth is it's actually the other way around. I've just turned and started walking the other direction, and so therefore I can't see him. But God will never leave us or forsake us. God will always be there for us, and his reign will be for all eternity. We may run from him, but he will never leave us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a little doctrine this morning, all right? That's why I personally believe, and we can argue about that. We can have coffee over. We don't have to argue. We can just talk about these things. That's why I believe that when you come to this place in your life that you say, God, I want to give you my life. I want, I, want to, I want to acknowledge that you are Savior, and I want you to be Lord of my life. And we've seen people who've, who've made that decision and then later on that they maybe wander from the faith. Let me just tell you something. God is still right there with them because God is a God of his word. Even though we at times tend to run from God or stray away from him, he is an eternal father. And what we can trust in is that God's love will always be sure. God's love will always be sure. Our love, however, sometimes... Tends to have some holes in it, doesn't it? Tends to have some conditions attached, attached to it. And let me just be honest with you this morning. Sometimes it's difficult for you or for I to understand God's love because we're comparing it to love that we've experienced from people here on earth that may have left us hurt at times, that may have fallen short at times. And so it's difficult at times to comprehend that there is a God who loves us so much and he's done so much for us and his love will always be sure it will never fall short. It's hard for us to understand at times, but we can trust and we can hope in the fact that this is true, that God's love will always be sure. And we see this wonderful promise in Micah. Look at this, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Now, what's so significant about that? Bethlehem was the least and, and, and the truth is this, is that even when you feel like you're the least, you can trust that God's always going to give you his best. That is the hope that we have in Jesus, that God's love will always be sure. There's nothing that he ever looks at and says, well, that's just insignificant. All that we see around us are things that God has made, and his love is sure, and his love is true. And his love for you is that sure. And that's why we have a hope that comes in Jesus, that not only is he a wonderful counselor, that will help us navigate life. Not only is he a mighty God that will be sure to see us through, not just us, but he will rule the nations and the world, but that even in the midst of that, that he is an eternal father. He, he takes all that power and he lovingly gives it to us. You, you ever have that experience? Now, I know when I start talking about dads that for some people, that's a difficult discussion because maybe your dad and you didn't have the best relationship. But I, my dad and I did. Today's my dad's birthday, just by the way, on that. Um, and my dad's not with us anymore. He passed away in 2006. But today's my dad's birthday. But I'll always, when I look in Scripture and I see this idea of power and love mixed together, I, I just look at my dad because my dad was someone I did not want to mess with. I just didn't want to mess He was... 
My dad told me one time, and you can laugh at this. He goes, son, if you ever need to be reminded the difference between men and boys, you just keep acting that way. You know, because I'd gotten about 17 years old. I, you know, kind of, you know, big and strong and started mouthing off a little bit. And, and dad just looked at me and said, you need to be reminded the difference between men and boys. You just keep acting like that. And boy, at that point in time, that little thing in your head goes, do I step or do I step back? I'm going to step back right now. You know what I mean? You're just like, hmm. But then my dad did so many things in life that exemplified a, just a great love for me. Was my dad a perfect dad? My dad was not a perfect dad, but I never had to doubt his love for me. And so when I think of this idea of God being an all-powerful, almighty God, and yet his love being so true and so sure for me, I, I, can, I have a picture of that that helps me understand that. I understand that that's not true for everybody, but I want to tell you that in Christ it is true, is that even when you feel like you're at the least, God will always give you his best and his love will be sure. And then that final descriptor that Isaiah gives us, the prince of peace. Peace, wouldn't that be nice, amen? Man, you just, you just can't find it, it seems like, in today's world. It, just, it doesn't sustain, it doesn't last, but what we have a promise here from the prophet Isaiah saying that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be the prince of peace peace and you get this whole descriptor and you put it together and what it really means is that God's rule will always be right that he will be in charge God's rule will be there he will be the prince though and his rule is not going to be one of chaos it's going to be one of peace and even as Jesus was talking with his disciples he said these words in John 14 27 he said peace I leave with you my peace I give to you, and, and listen to this, I do not give to you as the world gives. He gives in the way that only God can give. And so he says, do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. So God brings peace in our life. Now, I know when you think about the greatest gift that you've ever received at Christmas and you you get that idea of this anticipation and this looking forward to it, when we compare that perhaps to the way that we approach the greatest gift ever given to this entire world, which is in Jesus Christ, it's not just a season. It's not just a time that we celebrate. It's something that brings us hope. It's something for us to hold on to today to help us live out our lives in such a way that will bring glory and honor to him. But at the same time, the miraculous thing about following Christ is as we live our life in a way that brings glory and honor to him, it brings great fulfillment and joy to ourselves. And, and it's an incredible, incredible gift that God gives that in only in him can you live pursuing something other than yourself and find fulfillment for yourself. And that is in pursuing Christ. And so my question for us today is what have I done with what I've been given? What have I done with what I've been given? You, you may have never accepted the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And perhaps the answer to the question for you this morning would honestly be, well, I haven't done anything with this. You know, I, yeah, it's Christmas again, you know. And it may look a little bit different as we 
go through it in the years, or it may take on different meanings in the year, but, but the truth is always the same, is that the, the center of all things in Christmas is the hope that comes in Jesus Christ, that not only did he come, but he is coming again. And we've been given that gift. And for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, let me just remind us of something. God did not save us only to be his children. He saved us to do good things. We see that over and over in Scripture, and that's coming in sermons later in 2019 because it's just an idea that you see over and over and over in Scripture. We're not saved just to be his children. We're saved to do good works. And so that's why I asked this question, what have I done with what I've been giving? You know, you know when gifts are the best is when you get to tear open that box and you get to put together the Millennium Falcon and you get to have Chewbacca and Han Solo and you're going, you get to actually touch them and you use them and you play with them and you get that. Gifts are best when they're opened and used. And the greatest gift that's ever been given to us is in Jesus Christ. And I hope that you have opened it and accepted it and are living it and are using that every day in your life.